In the uh, new, today's the last day of the current sermon series, um, stuck in the same story. I'll talk about that in a moment. Coming up for the rest of 2022, uh, I've been thinking about this for a while. We all have, I hope you do, have particular verses of the Bible that you um, maybe you memorize them, you, you go to them, you come back to them frequently, and they always mean something, they're always helpful. And, and, and sometimes you almost maybe forgot about them, and someone reminds you of that particular passage. So I have a list of several that I'm going to share, and we're going to go back to the context, because some of them are going to be very familiar, some perhaps not, but each one, when you look at the, the context around it, the, the part of the Bible it came from, and, and the letter or the narrative passage that it emerges from, there's always a reason it was written originally, and then the reason that we can have it revealed in us now and what God does in us or can do in us now. So in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about, um, back up one, confidence and um, walking the right path, transformation, blessing, peace and rest, love and uh, joy, and really good news that we hear from the Christmas story. So go ahead, Eric. Today, then, we're wrapping up this series with establishing new life-changing patterns. I'll tell you what, Eric, I'll just kind of give you a signal like this. Okay, so go ahead. And today, I'm going to start with this question. Do you know what you're doing? I was a football player very briefly as a boy. When I was 12, I, I heard that the, the midget football team in my community was, needed some more players to fill out their roster. And um, some of my friends and some people in my family said, Paul, you got to play football. You always liked it. You play in the backyard. Why don't you get on a team? So I kind of reluctantly went and went out for the team. And, and it wasn't a question of making the team. They needed players. So I was on the team. And as the, as the first game approached from the practices we were at, my, my coach thought I should be a running back. I wasn't sure why. I said, okay, I'll be a running back. So it was kickoff, the first game. All of our games, except for this one, were played Sunday afternoons. But this one was, was a night game. It was under the lights. Now, there wasn't a very well-lit uh, field, as I remember, but it was, it was a night game. And so that was kind of cool. But it also made me feel like that much more under the spotlight. So it's time for the kickoff. He sends me, all right, Paul, go out there and receive the kick. Huh? <laughs> me? Oh, okay. And I go out there. So everyone's lined up. The ref blows the whistle for the kicker to approach the ball, and he kicks it, and he kicked it pretty well. And I see it coming, and it came right toward me. It kind of bounced in front of me, and then it stopped. Did you ever have one of those moments where everything's in slow motion? <laughs> You look back to it, it was like, it, it, it seemed like it was several minutes, but it was seconds at the most. So this is what's going on in my mind in the second that that ball came and came to a stop. Someone should pick that up. <laughs> I think somebody's supposed to pick it up and run that way. Oh, that's me. Wait a minute. There's some people with the other colored uniforms running really fast right at me. 
and my blockers don't look like they're doing a very good job. I don't know about this. I picked it up, I tucked it on my arm, thankfully, and I might have got three yards and then <laughs> piled under. First time in my life I was tackled. That is, tackled by people with pads and helmets and the whole thing. And it, it was a little frightening, but I survived. I didn't fumble, but that was also the last kickoff I ever received. I must have looked really scared, and I was. <laughs> I did go on to play um, tight end and linebacker, and I did have two touchdowns in my brief career. So that's my claim to fame as a 12-year-old football player. That was, didn't go out in high school or anything like that. I didn't have, didn't have the motivation for it. But in that moment, it's that question that came to my mind. You know, do you know what you're doing? Like, I was unlike most of the players on that team. Uh, I was 12, and I played football in the backyard like most boys did. But in an organized game where you have plays and you have coaching and here's the technique, I'd never done that before. Most of the boys in the team had done that since they were eight years old, and including the opponents. I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't fully ready for that moment, but somehow I still got through it. You believe in Jesus. You, you follow him. You're, you've been forgiven. His spirit lives in you. Do you know what you're doing? Playing on a football team is... Important to a boy, important to those players, even professionally is important to them. That is their profession, those that play this afternoon in large stadiums all over the nation. But each of us have an important role to carry out, an important part to play in living out this, that which we hopefully believe, and I won't presume that all of you have embraced Jesus as your as your savior, following his ways, pattern your life after him. But if you have, this is my question for you. Do you know what you're doing? This is the passage I read a moment ago. I know that's kind of small, but as I read a passage like this, in fact, all scriptures that I go to, I look for themes, and, and part, of, part of finding a theme in a scripture passage is to look for recurring words, and that might reveal a theme. In this one, we see it's underlined there, the word knowledge keeps coming up. Knowledge. Everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. So something about a godly life and knowing in the middle of the list that we'll look at in a moment that Peter gives, of the evidence of living this life is also the word knowledge. At the end of this passage, toward the end, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge. You maybe wouldn't think that right away. You might read right past that and not isolate it, but that's that's what the Lord showed me. There was something about knowledge and my, my walk with Christ. Do I know what I'm doing? No, not just in the sense of a cognitive understanding, 
in my brain, yes, I know that this is where I find this passage in Scripture. I can find 2 Peter. I know a principle that I learned that someone taught me in Bible college, or I, I learned in a Bible study, or I read on my own. I, I know it right here. But the kind of knowing that Peter's talking about in this passage goes beyond just right here. Now, that's important. It's got to get in there. We have to learn it. we got to learn from this book and, and learn the, the truths that we find in the Scripture, the principles that, that can really help change life. That's what God wants for us. But if it just stops right there in the kind of knowledge where it's only in your head and isn't in, most importantly, your heart, but then your hands, your feet, your voice, your attitudes, your relationships, that's where the knowing matters. Do you know what you're doing when everything's on the line? Do you know what you're doing when your faith is being tested? Do you know what you're doing when, when someone comes to you with a problem or a circumstance or, or, or something that, that uh, they're asking you something about your faith? Do you, do you know what you're doing enough to be able to share? Do you know what you're doing that your life is shining? So what we see here in the third and fourth verse is this knowledge of Christ and what that means. I knew I shouldn't have gone that way. <laughs> Your knowledge of Christ. Go ahead, uh, Eric. And let's go three more. We see understanding, experience, participating, and escaping. All of that is contained in the, in the third and fourth verse. This is the, the, the knowledge of Christ, the kind of depth of knowledge, a living knowledge, and what it means. Listen to this once again. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge, understanding, of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Understanding his glory and goodness. God is good. All the time. That's a phrase people repeat back. God is good all the time. All the time God is good. Everything about God is good is good for us, is, is, is the best way to be and to live. And, and to continue to, to learn, to know, and understand what that goodness is all about. What That also reveals his glory. His glory and goodness go together. The more you understand, know, live out the goodness of God, the more you glorify God, the more his glory is revealed in you experience in his very great and precious promises. The promise, I think, to me, the most, the most special promise of God is this. I will never leave you. Amen. I will never forsake you. The world abandons. People, people leave people abandoned. People discard others. Abuse others, oppress others. That's never what God does. God doesn't leave. God doesn't abandon. What a great promise. And that's just one of them. 
And we experience that as we grow in our knowing about the ways of Christ. We experience also uh, the, the importance of participating in the divine nature. Well, that sounds like a big loaded thing, doesn't it? Kind of, kind of awesome, exciting, and mysterious all at once. To participate in the divine nature. Well, I'm not sure what that is, but it sounds pretty cool. <laughs> well, it's to take part in what God is doing. The, the walk with Christ, the, the Christian life, the, to, to be a follower, there's, there's many ways of describing the same important thing. As you do so, understand this. There are no spectators. You know, I'm going to sit down this afternoon and... Um, root for the Phillies and hope they get to the World Series. Like if they win today, they're going. I'm going to be a spectator from my television to watch that game. And some of you might watch football or whatever or go to a game. And that's fine. That's great. We appreciate the skills and the talent. It's fun to watch athletes and what they do or, or in, in another way to, to go to a concert where musicians perform, where singers sing, and, and, and it sounds beautiful and inspiring. We enjoy that. But, but in... The way of God, there is no audience, except maybe God himself. <laughs> We're the participants, all of us. You're on the team, and the coach has put you in the game, and he's not going to let you sit in the bench. <laughs> That's what participating in the divine nature means, that there is a role to play for you. There is a part to play for you. And your place matters. It doesn't have to be up front like Pastor Paul is or uh, you know, pastors with far bigger churches or who have a national audience or you know, they're on YouTube. All that is fine as long as they're sticking with the truth and preaching the gospel. Fantastic. Praise God. But just because someone is known by a lot of people doesn't mean what they're doing is more important than your Part. Your participation matters. What has God gifted you to do? The lives that you touch, the lives that are around you matter. The one life you are touching matters. Jesus left the 99 to go find the one, it tells us, the good shepherd. So don't ever discount your participation. And what might seem very small to you is very important. I said a moment ago about, um, asked the question, do you know what you were doing? If uh, the, it was time for another uh, dinner, you know, give out to the community like we did yesterday. And um, Cynthia would call me and say, well, Pastor Paul, uh, I can't make it. And no, neither can anyone else, including your wife. Would you mind cooking all the food today? <laughs> She's laughing. <laughs> Okay, I don't know if I can pull this off. I'll try. The men, the men did, a, did a Mother's Day dinner, but I didn't do it alone. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't know what I was doing anywhere near the way Cynthia does because she's passionate about that and she's good at that. All of you have things in your lives that you are good at. In fact, right now, we're, we're, we tend to be humble people, so I'm not going to ask you to talk about it. But be honest with yourself. What are you good at? What do you know stuff about? It, it, in in your, your 
profession, your employment? Is there something that you're good at? And, and, and you, take, you take pride in, the, the good kind of pride, like, like you want to do it well. And, and, and even if no one else thanks you or notices you, you don't get accolades, those are good and we should do that to a certain extent, but, but that's not your motivation. Your motivation is, here's a job that needs to be done and it's my job to do it and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability and I'm going to honor God by the way that I do it, the attitude that I bring to it. You know, so you know how to do something, right? That's the kind of knowledge that I'm talking about in this walk with the Lord. We need to bring the, the, the scriptures, the truths in the scriptures, the principles of the scriptures, the ways of God expressed most fully in his son Jesus Christ into our lives. That they have hands, that they have feet, that they have voice in our lives. That's the knowledge we're looking at, which helps us then to escape from the corruption of the world. And we don't have to use much of an imagination to see that in our world, in our neighborhoods, in our community, in our nation. There is corruption. There's sin. It's everywhere. And we can escape it. But we have to know what we're doing. We have to know more about Christ and the way of Christ and, and apply the way of Christ. Go ahead, Eric. For this reason... Make every effort to add to your faith. And Eric, keep hitting it until it fills up the page here, okay? Thank you. So what Peter has, has given us here, that's good. What Peter has given us here is a, a pattern to follow. Sometimes in scriptures, uh, for example, in the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, you, you know, may be familiar with that, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, you can look at that list and you can pick any one of them. We, we want to have all of them in our lives, but you know, maybe my focus is I'm, I'm less gentle than I used to be or I need to be a more gentle person, so I ask God to help me with that gentleness. And, and that's a good prayer to have. Or, or, or the patience, that's usually one that, that comes out a lot with people. Can I be more patient? And um, So that's a list that, that we can look at and sort of focus on maybe the area we are weakest in or need more in our lives. This is a little different. This is a sequence that Peter's given us, okay? We don't just jump down the road here and, and think, well, I just want to have godliness. Well, how do you get there? You don't bypass the others in between, okay? So here's how, here's how this works out. So for this reason, the reasons he just described to avoid the corruption of the world and, and, and to participate in the divine nature, make every effort. Yeah, I should have underlined that too. Every effort. Every effort isn't something hey, you get around to it when you feel like it. I'll get around to it when my schedule allows it. I'll get around to it when, when uh, someone will help me. I'll, you know, th that's not an option here. Okay, Every effort means a consistent desire to apply the knowledge of God in my life. That's what we should have as believers. That's what we need to have. And if you don't, uh, we'll see what happens at the end. But So make every effort to add to your faith. Step one, and faith is, of course, the, the building block. Faith is the beginning. Faith that, that Jesus loves you. Faith that, that, to, that, that he died for you and has forgiven you. And he's promised you life. Not just what we get when we leave this world, but life now. The kind of life he has, desires for us. That's all activated 
beginning by faith, the foundation. So from there, we go to goodness. Faith in Christ is always good for you. Faith in Christ is always good. God is always good, I said a moment ago. What is good in your life right now? Think about the goodness of God that you see revealed in your home, your workplace, uh, the goodness of God being revealed in your neighborhood, uh, where, whatever context you can think of. Do you see God there? Is it, is it good? And, and the, the smallest and simplest things are usually the most important. Again, that list of fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, you know, things like kindness and gentleness and patience, they're not going to throw parades for people who do that stuff. (laughs) They don't have to. Because the more that those ways are evident in people's lives, the better life goes for everybody. And we participate, do our part in the divine nature by practicing all of God's goodness in our lives. Faith always leads you to good things. It's not always easy. Sometimes the good thing is a hard thing. Physically, if we need surgery, there's a reason. We know there's something wrong inside that they have to cut us open and fix or take out or correct. And then, Lord willing, we'll we'll get better from it and be healthier because of it. And that's not easy. It's painful. It involves a lot of change and recovery and perhaps rehab, all kinds of things. But you know that it's good that I do that in the end because I want to live longer. I want to live well. That's why we have things like surgery and medications and such. So we know that physically it's the same ways with the ways of God in our lives, the, 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 the ways of the Spirit in our lives. He might point out something to you that is really painful. And you've kicked that can down the road too long. And, okay, Paul, it's time for you to deal with that now. And I'm not going to leave you, not going to forsake you. doesn't leave me alone in this situation. I'm going to help you. I'm going to walk with you. By the way, one of those verses I mentioned that we'll do in the coming weeks is, is Matthew you know, 11, 28 to 30. Um, and that's where... Uh, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And there he talks about being yoked together with Christ. And there's a teaser for it. Dig that up a little bit. Go, go to, do a commentary, look it up on the internet, all kinds of great tools out there. Find out what it means to be yoked together in Matthew 11. He doesn't abandon us. He works with us in it. But maybe he's pointed that hard thing that you know is good, but it's still hard. Get there. Um, so, so we get... We apply the goodness, we, we walk in the goodness, we, we more quickly choose good, and the more we do that, the more we, the knowledge, now this is the head knowledge at this point, good people can be trusted with knowledge. I said it's a sequence. If it goes straight faith to knowledge, you know what that can do? Puff you up. In fact, I think that's a proverb, right? Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge um, can make us feel like we got all the answers. Oh, I know that. I know that. But when, you, when it's kind of 
goodness helps take the edge off of any, any temptation to, to come into that with, with a sense of superiority. Okay? But we need knowledge. We have to be careful with it. Okay? So goodness, then knowledge, and good people, people who are practicing being good, doing what's best for themselves and others as best as they can understand and discern that, can be trusted with deeper knowledge. And then there's self-control. As you activate that knowledge more and more, you learn how to manage the uncontrolled in your life or the difficult to control. And that's what self-control is all about, right? Self-control means I have a moment here where there is a circumstance before me that I can act out, speak out, do something that I know isn't going to be good for me or someone else or maybe a lot of people, and there is that moment where you want to have the knee-jerk. The goodness and the knowledge rushes in and helps you to control that moment in as best you can. And those things that we cannot control... God helps us with that as well. I, I've, I've used this definition several times, and it bears repeating right here. Um, a, a good definition of suffering in the fullness and the broadness of that word suffering is anytime you are out of control. So something that you can't change, something that you can't fix, something that you can't stop. It is beyond you to be able to do anything about it. And you prayed about it, and, you might, and, and it's good to pray about it, but, but it's not up to you to change it. Do you trust God in those moments? Is, is, is there, is there self-control over what I can't control? That's what God enables us to do as we've begun walking the path of faith and goodness and knowledge. And then that gives us perseverance because as these difficulties come, as the tests come, and we start to see successes, and we're going to see failures too, but when you fail, you get up and you do it again. You get up having learned from it. You get up so you can keep going, and self-control matters most under pressure when there are those big pressures, persevering through those difficulties. And you know what that does? When you do that persistently and consistently in your life, you become a godly person. And how do you know you are a godly person? Other people turn to you in terms of seeing the strength of your faith. They saw how you went through that awful episode in your life and how your faith not only hung in there, but actually grew somehow. And maybe you didn't even see it in yourself right away, but, but something about, about your, your, the attitude that you brought to that struggle, the attitude you brought to that uncontrolled moment stands out in a good way. That's what godliness is. It is seeing Christ in me. As, as the Apostle Paul writes, follow me as I follow Christ. That's a, that's a bold thing to say, but we can learn to say that confidently because of Christ in us. That's what godliness is. Those who persevere through trial reflect, reflect Christ. And then mutual affection in some translations is simply brotherly kindness. So let's go with kind. Godly people are kind. Godly people no matter what they're facing, choose kindness or choose kindness more often than not. 
and consistently and persistently choose to be a kind people. (sighs) Don't we need that desperately right now? Kindness. Even in the church, it saddens my heart greatly to see people who think that because of their politics, they can just take kindness and kick it into the ditch. God did not lead them there because that is an ungodly thing. Kindness isn't always easy. We can bring kindness into a difficult moment, but kindness always matters. It is that little thing that we can do and should consistently do to be kind to one another. Yeah, I don't like the way you did that. I'm still going to be kind. I don't agree with your stance. I'm still going to be kind. Kindness matters. Godly people are kind, period. And that brings us to love. Above all, all of the above, excuse me, require love and lead to deeper love. So we love God, and hopefully our, our act of faith is love. And so love is there throughout the process, but the deeper we go through these steps, the more we learn to love the more we learn about love. We learn about how deep love goes, how far love needs to go. And there's some deeply painful circumstances in your lives. Many of you, I've heard your stories and I know the pain, or at least what you told me, not that I know it myself necessarily, but and I've had my own deep pain in my life. And if, if God's love isn't big enough for that pain, then God's love isn't big enough, period. And so this is the depth of love that this this process is continually learning can lead us to. Go ahead, Eric. So faith plus goodness plus knowledge plus self-control plus perseverance plus godliness plus mutual affection plus love equals, here's the end of the equation, effective and productive knowledge. Go ahead. The eighth verse says this. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's such an interesting wording that Peter used here. To being ineffective and unproductive, we don't want that. And how do we prevent that? You know, ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge. So this is why this passage speaks of this active, living knowledge that has to infiltrate our lives to know Him, to know Christ, to know Him better, to know Him deeper, to trust Him more. All of that always matters. And two passages, Paul writes about these two words, effective and, and productive, Philemon 1.6, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding, knowledge of every good thing that we share for the sake of Christ. And then 1 Thessalonians 1.3, we remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And if you don't walk this path, if you don't start applying those, those patterns, well, here's where you end up. Blind and forgetful. Don't do that. And this is the, the, the warning he gives at the end of this. But whoever does not have them, that is this pattern, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. You're just wandering around. You're stumbling around like you can't see. And forgetting that you've been forgiven, why does the church, ours included here at Bushkill, practice on a regular basis the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the cup? Because we forget. Remember is the most important word associated with the Lord's Supper. Remember him. Remember, remember. And, and what the reason Jesus established that is because he knows us. <laughs> and, and, and we can't just go on and, you know, oh, I love God, everything's great, and, and just get to the place where, oh, yeah, somewhere back there he did something really special for me, but I can't, I, I think I misplaced it. I, what was that again? Oh, yeah, forgave me. That's not it. <laughs> we need to have that before us, like, to remember what he's forgiven us of and, and be thankful for it and praise him for it. We're forgiven. Are you a follower of Christ? Do you know what you're doing? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, bring your knowledge to our hearts, a living, breathing knowledge that infiltrates not just us, but those around us. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and go to our closing song. It's always good to, to end the service. I, uh, we always call this, uh, entitled this, uh, the, the Song of Hope. We need to leave on a, on a note of hopefulness, on a note of, of thanksgiving and praise to our God, and uh, Linda's going to lead us in that.